Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to this week's episode of the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. Guys, this is a episode I have been wanting to put together for a few months. We've rescheduled this call a couple of times and I'm super glad to be bringing you today's guest. He is the owner at Act Audio in Manchester, Connecticut. Please welcome to the show, James Smith. James, welcome. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I've uh, been wanting to get on your show for quite some time now, uh, probably a little while before I even asked you. So. <laughs> Dude, those are some good-looking headphones you got there. You got your own setup now going yeah, on in the office, some right? Good-looking guy, I know, suggested them for me. So <laughs> it goes a lot. Nice. It goes a lot better than uh, than just uh, than just speaking into your uh, into your AirPods. I know that for a fact. But um, for the guys that don't know you, you are a a well well-rounded entrepreneur with a business that a lot of us look up to. So give us real quick a thousand foot overview of uh, of who you are and tell us a little bit about Act Audio, mate. The floor is yours. Well, as you said, my name's James Smith um, from Manchester, Connecticut. We uh, I own Act Audio. And we specialize in essentially customizing your vehicle to your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people know us for our uh, remote car starters and alarms and, you know, pit my rides type stuff, Yeah, which is the, you know, generally what people think of when they think of our business, but we're a little more than that. We like to do. So, you know, if you got a, a grandmother that has an older vehicle and she needs some safety features in it, we can add the safety features and we can do a lot more um, than people think. So I, I have no idea how to keep grandma safe in her own car. How, what, what kind of safety features do you have? Like I'm totally ignorant of your, uh, of your world, mate. So this is, it's kind of fun to me to learn what you got going on. So think of the brand new cars and all the safety stuff they're coming out with. Uh-huh. Most of that stuff originates in our world. And right, the, right. the automotive industry adopts it mm-hmm. because it became popular. So uh, lane departure warning, blind spot detection, backup cameras. Uh, backup sensors, all those kind of things originated in our industry. No we kidding. Started, we started outfitting the cars first. Yeah. So what they say is like backup cameras, for example, uh, became, I think it was 2017, they became mandated federally to be put on cars, mm-hmm. uh, brand new being produced. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I don't, I don't, don't hold me to the exact numbers here, but if they just rolled them off the lot with the new cars, it would take something like 20 years or whatever it is for everyone to have yeah. a backup camera. Mm-hmm. So our industry helps expedite that, keeping the, the world safer because, you know, a little bit of a morbid fact is 50, I think it was 57, or it could have been 53, and I read this fact years ago, uh, kids are backed over every year in America, generally by a loved one. Yeah. At home kind of thing. Well, they just chase the they chase the guy out into the driveway. The, the the guys backing up and leaving for work, and you know you don't see the kid that's chasing into the driveway. So I mean, I get yeah. the I get the importance of backup cameras for for sure. Yeah. So you know that's one aspect, but now with the blind spot detection, all that stuff, we're continuing that. You know, expediting the safety of cars. See, the more you the more you know, man. I had no idea that you could buy that stuff um, aftermarket. You know, I thought either either the the little triangle lit up in the mirror from the factory or it didn't light up at all, dude. I had no clue oh, that, that was Yeah. 
So I came up with the slogan, it's before you buy new, see what act can do for you. <laughs> that's right. a pretty good, that's a pretty yeah. good one, man. Before you trying buy to, new, yeah. Trying to target those, especially when, you know, you couldn't buy new cars the past year. That's you true. Know, I was really yeah. trying to push that side of it. Like, I'm down, we can upgrade it. So, so even things like uh, sound treatment. So you got a, a car, a luxury car, that's quieter inside generally. That's just sound treatment. Yeah, we, we can add that to your vehicle and give you that luxury ride. Huh. Like Dude, I, I had no idea. Um, you know, because like when I was a kid, I was super into modifying cars. And, but like in the 90s, they didn't have stereos in them. And now every car comes with just, I mean, it, it all has the subs. It all has the, 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 the things that make it go shake and make it go boom. So, you know, how, how have you guys seen the industry shift over the last 20 years? with the with the uh with the advent of all that stuff being available from the factory how's that changed what you guys do so it's definitely shifted you know 15 20 years ago we called it a deck and four right it was common to come in we would do a radio and four speakers you did a six, six by nines and two tens in the back and you have the blau punks with the removable face plate that you put in a little thing and you carried it with you everywhere you went so no one yeah. stole your radio um, but fuck, we got old. <laughs> There's actually a really good Blaupunk commercial. If you haven't, I'll send you the link after. Uh, it's from Europe. It was never aired in the USA, mm -hmm. but it's them putting the radio in, turning it up, and there's two stuffed animals in the back shelf bouncing with the music. <laughs> And uh, it's, it's pretty funny. Dude, we all did it. I remember hacking, I remember hacking six by nine holes in parcel shelves when I was a kid, you know? Um, so that, that was the standard. What, what are you selling most of now? So it's, it's very similar still because the aftermarket stuff's always better. So like uh, a new Ford with a Sony system uh -huh. sounds, sounds fantastic, but it's not very loud. Uh, so we're going in and one of the biggest things I like to do now is the sound treatment, but we add an amp and a DSP mm -hmm. and subs. So we're using the amp to amplify your existing speakers right, right. to get a little more juice to them. Mm -hmm. The DSP, which is a newer technology, we use to manipulate that sound to really fine tune it so it sounds even better. And then the subs just to fill it out because some people are satisfied with factory subs, but not always. Come on, man. No, nobody's satisfied with factory subs. That's not how this world works. The hard part with subs is most people believe if you put subs in your car, you're that guy at the stoplight rattling the license plate, annoying everyone around you. Yeah. But that's... That's not what it is. I mean, it's it's the drummer and the rock band and the bassline and a rap concert. So it's, it's the heartbeat of the music. It's the soul yeah. of the music. Like so yeah. it, it fills out that music so much. It's it's needed. Yeah, you can't even something small. Yeah, you can't make a girl orgasm with regular subs. You can't do it. You got to upgrade to the aftermarket ones. I've, I've tried. You can't. <laughs> I think I saw that on the Howard Stern movie. Probably. That's going back a so, bit. But it's. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's, it's really because these new radios have everything built into them. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. so integrated. So we're not really changing radios as much. I mean, they take up half the dash, you know? Yeah. So we're, um, but at the same time, there's still a lot of older vehicles on the road. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they I, want. there's a lot of guys putting a lot of money into older vehicles, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it, it's one of my, uh, it's one of my goals to to have a mid nineties BMW that I restore and drive around in, and you know the, they don't have that audio stuff that that we've got right now. It's 
I, I can see a future for you guys in in just in the classic cars as as you know cars from the 90s are turning into classics now which just it blows my mind <laughs> yeah I, I don't i think uh sometimes when people come in with that even older like early 2000s car and i'm like well it's only a few years old yeah my younger employees are like that's older than me and i'm like well maybe not that but you know what I mean? <laughs> i'm like kind of doing the math in my head i'm like holy shit Getting yeah. older than, than yeah. I realize. Yeah, I mean, I still think a 2012 is a new model, and it just it's 10 years old now. It just, just blows yeah. my mind. Um, but anyway, enough of this gray-haired bullshit talk. I want to hear about your journey in entrepreneurship. So take us back to leaving high school and uh, talk us through the early parts of your career. How was it? Well, so I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Mm. And... Uh, I always feel I never put it um, into perspective or in place, but and Ryan Steuben kind of made me realize it. But even in high school, you know, I, I sold a lot of drugs. I always had that entrepreneur blood. T tell me what that was like. I sold a lot of candy in high school, soft <laughs> soft drinks and stuff. I never uh, I never made it to drugs. I made far too much money um, selling snacks. And, uh, you know, I kind of like to uh, indulge in the snacks myself during the school day. But tell us about what you were like in high school and what it was like being a hustler. So, I mean, it was, I was small time. I would, I just always did it. I guess the honest answer, I don't even know how I fell into it. Um, and I, I remember selling joints. I, I used to roll them up, put them in a little tape cassette and I carry them <laughs> around on the tape cassette and uh, I sell joints for five bucks each. And, uh, you know, it, it started growing bigger and I went to college and it was the same thing. But by the time I got to college, it was a little more about support. It became more about supporting my habits than right. it became about making money. You just essentially just, just smoking for free at that point. Yeah, and, and pretty much. Uh, but I always, even going back to when I was a little kid playing matchbox cars with my brothers, mm -hmm. I was always the dealer that sold the cars to them you know so i just you, always had that entrepreneur blood in me you, you like the banker at monopoly Is that yeah exactly yeah um <laughs> so leaving high school i wanted to start my own business i did actually it was eclipser so i had a 93 eclipse that was my car i bought when i was 18. Mm -hmm. eclipser stereo installs it was my own little side gig and uh i worked that for a while you know i didn't know what i thought i knew obviously what what year was this? Because I'm a, I'm guessing you and I are about the same age. I graduated in 2000. Okay, I'm a couple of years older than you, but we're we're right around the same. Yeah, right around so, the same age. So I graduated high school in 2000, and I kind of did it on the side for my friends. Mm -hmm. And in college, I was getting really heavy into partying and really screwing up. But that's what college is for. Yeah, and <laughs> some of us go too far though. Right, right. And um, I had a neighbor. He was into cars and I did tons of side work for him. And he wanted to, he, he was from Connecticut. So I'm from New Hampshire. Right, right. And he lived in Connecticut and he wanted to start a side business, like a pit my ride. This is like, oh, two. Cause that, that, that show was, that show was getting big back then. I remember watching Spike TV and MTV and, uh, and that kind of stuff. And uh, what was his name? Exhibit. He, yeah, was, I remember the Z. Yeah, I remember them putting a waterfall inside a car and I was just like, you know what? I really don't see the benefit of that. The benefit was TV ratings. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty much all it was. Yeah. And, um, and it was kind of fun, but you never saw them do any like critical mechanical work on those cars. They're like, well, we put brand new 22s on it, but we didn't change the brakes, you know? So I know people, a couple of people that actually worked on some of those shows, not that one specifically. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and they said the behind the scenes was not the prettiest. You know, <laughs> it was all for TV, the show, the books. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I have I have a media company, so I get it, man. Like, I can make you believe anything I put on the screen, and so exactly. if you believe that car looks amazing, then then so so be it. That's the point of the show, right? So, so basically, he his father passed away, and mm-hmm. he was going to school for body work, and he said, "Hey, why don't you move to Connecticut and let's start a business, kind of doing custom cars?" And I was really getting into a lot of trouble and, and I said, you know what, I need to get out of here. Let's do it. So I moved to Connecticut. And the biggest lesson I learned there is location doesn't dictate the trouble you're getting in. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I yeah. mean it could it could even it could even facilitate more trouble if you uh, if you change to a, a rowdier location. Yeah. I mean I, I mellowed out but I still continued, you know, smoking tons of pot, drinking alcohol. Right. And uh, our, our business, we didn't go anywhere. Um, we were too concerned with partying and hanging out. Well, and yeah. So I spent most of my 20s, um, honestly, with a job working at a Best Buy, not doing anything. And then when I was 30, I had a lot of health issues and I decided to clean up my act. And I had the opportunity from cleaning up my act, I had the opportunity to become a partner in Act Audio. So I took it and I was partners in Act Audio. I sold my 401k to invest in whole nine uh-huh. yards. Yeah. And I was a partner in Act Audio for about seven years. And it's unfortunate it took me seven years to get to this point. But about seven years in, I realized I'm not a business owner. I'm an employee mm-hmm. of, of my business. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's when I realized, actually it was six years because it was, I, I became an owner in 2011. Uh-huh. And this happened around 2017. Right, right. Um, and then I started to make that shift as I realized something was wrong. I didn't quite know what, but I started to research and learn and whatever and make that shift. And my partner was the opposite. So we kind of were going different directions. Mm-hmm. And um, two years later, I realized that he was holding me back. And if I wanted a successful business, I really had to learn how to step out mm-hmm. and look at that business from the outside rather than be up under a dashboard because you can't look at your business if you're on a dash under a car. Yeah, yeah, but you, you know, you got to give yourself some credit because all you'd ever known was being an employee. Yeah. And so when most entrepreneurs start businesses, they wrap it around themselves and they wear it like a cloak and, and they 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 own the business and they become the business, but ultimately they're employee number one and they do all the tasks still. And there's a very big, um, hold on a second. Oi, you guys got to be quiet. These fucking kids, I swear to God. They're with me all summer, like all fucking day, all summer. I didn't know you had kids. Yeah, I got two little boys. Uh, they split their time between me and their mom and she doesn't have a flexible job at all. So uh, yeah, it's all on me. Let me make a fucking edit, Mark. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. I give my uh, I give my show notes to my editor so they can uh, they can pull this kind of shit out. It never happens, but anyway, um, fuck. What were we talking about? Um, uh, the the lesson of I only knew how to be an employee. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. So they tend to wrap the business around them, yeah, you know, and live inside of it like a cloak, and they they never get out of that, you know, employee kind of mindset because that's all they've known so they've got to do everything and i had that same problem you know i've got to do this because i'm the only guy that can that can do it so if you could for a minute talk me through that process of how you managed to go from an employee to a business owner yeah so basically um well if you don't mind let me just finish where i was going because i'm right there yeah 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 yeah, so so 17, I realized I started separating and I realized that at this point, he was my biggest hindrance if I wanted to keep moving. Mm-hmm. 20, 2019, my brother passed away and he had some money and he was going to lend it to me mm-hmm. and he was supposed to talk to me about it, but never obviously got the opportunity. So my mom gave it to me and I was going to go start my own business. I had a whole business plan written up and I sat down with my partner. I presented it to him. I said, I appreciate this opportunity. I've learned tons, but it's time for me. I want to own an own a business that doesn't run me and I run. Mm-hmm. I need to step away. Yeah, absolutely. Long story short, he said, I'll, I'll go. So I bought him out and he walked away from the business. And this is where your, your question comes in. Yeah. Like shit got real because at the end of the day, we had no SOP. We had no policies. Well, we did, but it was in my head and his head. Right. It was just a couple of guys doing what needed to be done to, to pay the bills, right? And, and we knew exactly what needed to be done. So when he walked away, so did the employee handbook, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so now I got to hire these employees and I got to hire like two employees to kind of make up for him. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting pissed off at these employees because they're not doing what we're supposed to do. And it took me a while to realize it's not their fault. It's my fault because they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I don't have these expectations written down and documented for them to follow. So it became extremely difficult because now I'm running this business and I'm doing literally doing everything because he's gone. So I'm in the front, I'm in the back, I'm doing the back end. And at nighttime, I'm writing SOP. Oh, man. And it was a struggle. Um, you know, but I got through it. I'm still, I'm still, I got a lot of little things to write as we evolve. So like now I'm trying to work on a store manager position, which is technically me. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to document that position so that hopefully soon I can replace myself. I, I, I gotta let you in on a secret. It never ends. Oh, I, I never I, ends as, as your company grows, as you move forward, as you move onwards, as you move upwards. It's SOPs for everything. <laughs> well, Put them on your calendar, man. You'll be writing them for the rest of your life. And as you hire more people, you run into yeah. problems mm-hmm. and you know, different personalities. But what I've learned is if you can learn the pause after every incident, mistake, whatever it is, and extract the lesson and document it, mm-hmm. that you're going to slowly make it happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a lot of people miss is is the fact that when an event happens, the only thing you're in control of is how you respond to that event. 
And as a boss, it's you, you kind of tend to respond one way. And as an owner, you, you, by the time you get to owner, you've generally learned to pause and think through your reaction because that's the only thing you can control. Yeah. And well, I, and my guys, we've got a good relationship where I don't get mad at them the first or second time a mistake's made. It's when it's consistently repeated. Right, right. But I, but I always say, so what are we doing next time? Mm -hmm. So this doesn't happen. I think as long as you as long as you carry mistakes as 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 a known factor and you look at them as an opportunity to learn, I think mistake if you're not making mistakes, you're not growing and you're not learning. So I mean it's and and when I'm paying an employee and the employee makes a mistake and then we correct it, that's not a black mark against the employee. That's that's an investment in them for for the future of the good of my business and for the good of their career. So you know it's uh, you got to embrace the mistakes sometimes. Yeah, I've learned that. A lot of times when an employee makes a mistake, if you really step back and look at it, it can come back to something that you didn't do as an owner to educate them properly or teach them. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, learn taking that lesson and putting it into your SOP or whatever is needed to help them or the next employee move forward. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, we don't want to pay for mistakes twice, but paying for them once isn't too bad. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's kind of where, so when he left, this is in 19, so now we're 22, so three years ago, uh -huh. um, I definitely almost tripled the business oh, wow. by stepping out and, you know, looking in, and I barely touch a car now, and I, I only do sales one day a week because my sales guy needs a day off. <laughs> so, um, so, like, when, when you transitioned, and your partner left did you notice a, a drop in sales was there was there kind of a a period of lag time where you had to jump back into the front end and, and start making stuff up or did it go relatively smoothly um there was definitely a small drop uh, it wasn't like crazy but we couldn't keep up of course you know? yeah. so he was a uh, geez i mean he he had been installing since 98 i think it was oh wow like so maybe 97 yeah a lot of experience and we're a very niche industry that is hard because we don't have like go to a dealership they have their sales guides and their you know their you know everything on a dealership cards you take these three bolts off and you put the exact same part back on square yeah. peg square hole yeah 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 for the aftermarket world it's a round peg round hole all the different trims, different models, different years. Now we're going all the different products and it gets, it gets kind of complicated. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. And it becomes, you know, like, very experience heavy. Well, accurately bidding jobs must be, must be quite the process for you guys. And so it was, so what I did is I kind of, I built to make it easy is I actually just built packages. Mm -hmm. So. I built level system packages, level one, two, three, same with motorcycle. And we kind of just went right in the middle of your low to your high. Mm -hmm. And we bid everyone the same price. So it's a solution. Right, right. And now we're not worried about, well, this needs this, this, and that. We sell it to the customer. And then when the customer is gone, we figure it out with the technicians exactly what's needed to make that happen. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, so it made things simple, great. And that's where I'm trying to go with my business. I created a checklist so that uh, 
when the customer in front of the customer, you walk to the checklist with them and making everything a simple AVC cookie cutter kind of business. I completely understand that. So you've been, you've been out on your own now for the last few years. Um, what's the one thing that you're the most proud of that you've accomplished over these last few years since you've been doing it all yourself? Um, it's a good question. I, I think honestly, my perseverance, I mean, my growth, so I'd say two, my growth has been tremendous. Mm -hmm. uh, being able to step back, kind of get thrown to the wolves because we had this, this built business that half my foundation walked away. Right, right. And it started to crumble and I was able to, I went off on a little tangent from the original one, but no, no, no. I, I was I able to keep that structure up and build it even better. So um, let's, let's go a little deeper. You said, you said growth. Talk to me about some of the things that, that you've done that you, now you implement uh, on a, on a daily or a weekly basis that you learned in your growth that, that you're actually implementing in your business. I think one of the biggest and, and listen to your other podcast, I know you'll agree is reading books. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 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 And so when I started years ago, I did audiobooks because I, I couldn't read it's the attention span. So I would do audible books and, uh, then with, Joining Apex, I started to read more and I went with that 10 pages a day mm -hmm. is where I started. And now I can read much more. Um, I have, man, I, I don't know how many books I have lined up, but the, the reading is the number one, I believe, contributing factor to my growth um, and just constantly exposing myself to new ideas and different concepts. Yeah. I normally ask this question quite a bit later in the show, but um, as soon as we're on the topic of reading, uh, what's some good books that you've been uh, that you've been reading recently? Anything you can throw out to the listeners? So for my industry, well, not for my industry, for sales uh, and life, but I like the book "Never Split the Difference." Oh, that's a good one, uh, Chris, Chris Chris Voss. Chris Voss, yeah, yeah, I really like that book. Um, and then this isn't really, this is more like health. I'm really big into health. Mm -hmm. It's Fit for Life by uh, Harvey Diamond. Where my two books I like the most right now. The most. So I, honestly, I like being fit. I don't like doing the work it takes to get fit, but I like being fit. I'm the fittest I've ever been right now. And it's thanks to listening to guys like you talk about being fit and, and reading books about being fit. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, people are listening. We do pay attention. So, this morning, I was talking to someone about like, this year, I've been working really hard on my fitness. I've been following macros. And uh, I went back to January 1st, I did 75 hard. Mm -hmm. And I looked at my pictures and I took another one side by side. Man, I can't believe the difference. But if I didn't look at those pictures, I would have never realized. Mm -hmm. So talking about growth, it's a really good indicator um, that you don't see that little bit of growth every day. You uh, don't personally, personally, physically, whatever it is. No, you um, don't. And it's, it's why they always say when you start anything is to take measurements, even if it's yeah. starting a new business, starting a new weight loss program, any of that, just take measurements, know your numbers, know where you're starting from. Um, I'm right in the middle of 75 hard. And if I hadn't taken starting pictures, I wouldn't feel like I've made any progress. And yeah, I'm actually chipping away every single day. Are you doing the whole thing or just the 75? 
you know, um, I've given it a lot of thought and I'm going to go ahead and just do the whole thing. I'm going to do the whole freaking program, just get through it. You know, it's like, it's not hard to do one day at a time. And yeah. I, ever since I quit drinking, cause I still have a drink. I would still love to have a drink, but just one day at a time, I still do it. And it's been like over five years and just maybe I won't have a drink today. And so I think that the way 75 hard is structured and the way the live hard program is structured. Yeah. It's a bunch of shit to do, but when you chew it all up, it's just, it's little like actions over and over and over that, that just pull you closer towards your goal. I mean, I've never been in this good a shape and it's cause I'm going and working out twice a day. Do I enjoy it? Eh. Do I want to do it? No, absolutely not. But I enjoy the results. I enjoy the endorphins. I enjoy the way it makes me feel. I enjoy the way other people look at me. I enjoy more confidence. And, and it's all stuff that I've learned through listening to guys like you and reading books like the ones you've read. So I've, I'm fully in favor. I think if if every single person made it their business to perform a little bit better than the day before, and they just kept doing that, I think we'd solve 98% of the problems in this country. Um, just most people don't operate that way, mate. No, I, I 100% agree. And I actually encourage my employees um, to do that stuff. I do little monthly challenges. Man, it makes a difference. I don't think he listens to the show, um, but my partner texts. I've got a partner in the media family. Um, he's very good on the technical side, um, but he's very quiet. He's very shy and he doesn't get wrapped up in any of this podcasting or on camera shit. And, um, Dude, he has been on 75 hard. He started the same time as me. He fell off after a week. And the next day he jumped right back on. He's been on it. I think he's got about 35 days in right now. And he's looking great. And his confidence is up. And his freaking sales closes are up. And everything about it. And I, I took him to one side this morning and told him what a fantastic job he was doing. But it's your job as a boss. It's your job as an owner. It's your job as a leader to take this shit and give it to your employees and your business partners. So yeah. How, what, what do you do to incentivize them to, to get them involved? So we make it a contest and then we'll do uh, I'll do simple gift cards or whatever. Uh, but I think sometimes just the, the competition side helps because at the end of the day, what I've learned is everybody wants to get healthier. Everybody wants to get better. Sometimes they just don't know how or where to start or they just need that motivation. Dude, we so, all know how. We just don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, eat less, move more. That's it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. in a nutshell, but most of us like eating and we don't like moving. Yeah, no, I love eating. Um, <laughs> so, but I eat, I eat very, so I did a diet called the Whole 30 mm -hmm. and you omit like anything unnatural. And man, I, I haven't changed. It's been, five years now and I'm not a hundred percent, you know, I'll grab a slice of pizza once in a while or whatever yeah. it is. I mean, ice I say, cream's natural. Yeah. I, I, I do enjoy my ice cream. I do a lot of motorcycle trips and they'll stop at an ice cream. Place. Well, why not? You know, yeah. like, but I'm like 90%. And if you ever want to try something, the whole 30 diet sleeps better, your midday's better. I mean, it's amazing. Um, well, well, shit. Yeah. I mean, I'll look at it. A whole so, 30 diet. I'll write that down. Yeah. Me personally, it takes a bit of planning because it's such an extreme change, but it's only 30 days. Right. right. So I, I live next door at the grocery store, so I'm bad. I'll go every day and just get fresh stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, 
I want to go back to the book question, actually. Yeah. There is one book my favorite. It's The Four Agreements. Oh, I I have that book and I have not read it. It's in my pile of shit it's to read. super easy read, super short, and it's amazing. Um, it's actually, I recycled it back into my pile to read again. With Gil Alvarez, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I have it. It's, it's somewhere around here. It's probably on my bookshelf. Um, I've got, I have a bad habit of buying books that podcast guests recommend. And then I, I think I've got four of them in my backpack right now. Cause I do the, uh, I read limitless by Jim quick and I yeah. like to dip in and out and I'll take 15 or 20 minutes on a book and read a chapter and then put it up and read another chapter on another book and it helps me retain by, by mixing shit up a little bit. So I, I've heard you talk about that. I figured you might, might enjoy this. I just bought this, uh, cube. Oh, like a productivity cube. So oh, you, nice. So it's on, and whatever side you turn it to, it'll just automatically set a timer. That's that pretty cool. Yeah. I haven't used it yet. I unboxed it today. That's that's pretty neat. I just use the timer on my phone, or I just turn my phone off and say I'm gonna read for a chapter, or however however it goes. But uh, reading's been completely, you know, fundamental for me. Like all the knowledge that everybody has. If you if you think about it, if somebody takes the time to write a book. 99% uh, of the people that take the time to write the book are going to put out the best book possible that contains the most knowledge possible on the subject. You know, nobody wants to put out a shitty book. So, like, the, the knowledge of the universe is in books. And I don't know why people ignore them so much. I think it's uh, the way our society is going with, with TikTok and reels and all that stuff is people don't have the attention span. So when I first started reading, you know, uh, probably two years ago now, mm -hmm. I have a hard time reading 10 pages. Yeah. Right. Cause I'm sitting there. I'm like, is that my phone? I think yeah. that, let me just check. Yep. And yep. you're so wired to be ding, 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 ding. All day long. It's yeah. hard to focus, but the more I did it, you know, one, one line at a time, just like you're one day at a time, the better I got. And now I can put the phone away. I don't even got to put it in silence mode. I can read my, you know, ten. I do more than ten pages. But, yeah, I you know, I switch my I switch mine on silent, dude. <laughs> I um I started well, so I do it in the morning, mm -hmm. where my phone's actually still in. Like I get up at quarter or five ish, and my phone's in silent mode till seven thirty. Mm -hmm. So I go to the gym, and then I come home from the gym. I make a cup of coffee, and I sit down and I read. That's exactly what I do. I get my workout in, and then I do my coffee and my reading. Um, sometimes I do it at the office, sometimes I do it at the house, but like every single day, you know, I never thought I'd be the guy that got up early and went and worked out. And me, me either. Um, I used to struggle. So when I was an employee for Best Buy, I could barely make it there for 10 o'clock every day. Mm -hmm. Barely make it. I was always late. And now I'm up at, you know, by five o'clock yep. working out and. You know, I love it. So what happened for me is my wife took a job. She had to go at 530. Mm -hmm. And so I just started doing it to support her. Right, right. And I started to realize this is like four years ago. I started to, because by that point I was getting up at like 637. Yeah. But I started realizing that that window of time of like seven to nine in the morning mm -hmm. is so much more productive for me than seven to nine PM. Dude. I would so much rather bust my ass and be done with work by 3.30 or 4. I'd so much rather be productive between 7 and 10 o'clock in the morning. That's where I get all my shit done. Yeah. 
Well, it's quieter at that time. You're not as tired. You're, you're, and then, then I get to do this. That well, that's why my podcast interviews are booked in the afternoons. Is because I get all my work hammered out in the mornings, and then I get interviews in the afternoons, and I get a nice you know coast into the gym at night. It's like yes. it just makes sense. But people they waste that time. I there's so much time between five o'clock in the morning and lunchtime, and okay. um. You know, like when the kids are in school, I got to get up even earlier. But like right now, I'm up about five fifteen, and there's so much productive time before lunch that I can literally do all of my day's work before lunch, and then podcast in the afternoon and record the fun stuff. I mean, it's this is still work. Don't get me wrong, but you know, having that structure. And I was never a morning person at all. Yeah, me so, so you made the change by by supporting your wife, right? There wasn't some kind of internal switch that went off and said, James, you've got to get out of bed or you just decided to support her and it kept going. So I decided to support her uh, and, then she, and then her job changed and she didn't have to get up early anymore, but yeah. I kept it going. Yeah. So and I still do it. Yeah, I do. I, I love it. Um, I've got to ask you, uh, the, the, the podcast, Small Business Surgeon, we're kind of aimed at up and coming entrepreneurs that might be just a few years behind us uh, in their development. They might be a few years ahead of us, but they could still learn a few cool things. And, um, you know, I really want to let people know that successful people have failed too. Um, can you talk us through a time when there was something particularly challenging in your business and how you overcame it? Um, so the first thing that comes to mind is being desperate. So like, I really wanted to be a diverse business, mm -hmm. right? So we specialize in aftermarket and I want to, you know, I want to be your one-stop shop where we're doing right. the, the, you know, you come in with tinted windows, we'll do whatever you want to your car aftermarket. I got it. Yeah. So I really wanted that tinting side because that's the next biggest thing that people do in their cars. Right. And, right. and I, I jumped into it too fast and I didn't hire properly and I was too anxious to get to my goal rather than building a, a foundation and finding a good employee. And I hired a guy who was a horrible employee. I, I shouldn't say horrible. <laughs> um, he was a horrible person, to be honest. And he was a decent employee and there were so many red flags that because I was so desperate to get to that goal mm -hmm. that I ignored all the red flags and been I kept pushing and, through. Been there and done it, mate. Yeah. You you think you're you think you'll make them change flag halfway through and you know you can never do it, can you? Yeah. And uh so that that situation it obviously it caused me damage to a vehicle. It actually turned into a major Department of Labor audit. Uh oh, wow. that, that went on for two years. I, I think I'm done with it. Um, but I'm not hundred percent sure. I haven't heard from them in three months. They submitted the paperwork, got kicked back. They submitted again. It's been a few months. So it caused me so much more problems, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously tons of lessons learned that I've extracted, but so many more problems just because I was overly anxious to take on, you know, I didn't do it right. I didn't find the right employee hired by core values. I didn't right, build the foundation right. the SOPs to launch into that side. Um, real quick, yeah, because I keep talking about foundation. Uh huh. 
and building foundations. Um, yeah. There was a book released today. I don't know if you saw it. It's things I've learned. The greatest things I've learned being an entrepreneur. Yes, I saw it come out. Are you, are you credited in that? Did you write a chapter? I did. And my chapter oh. is called Your Foundation is Everything. Congratulations, man. Newly published Thank author. You. Well done. Well done. Thank you. And uh, oh. yeah, you want to expand on that chapter about foundation or you want me to ask the next question I was going to ask? <laughs> um, we can expand on it. I mean, it's kind of things I've already talked about. So, you know, what's that when I have yeah. my partner, I should have built the foundation. I got you. Well, look, we'll just plug the book, tell everyone to buy it, and I'll ask you the next question. All right. Go ahead. What's the name of that book? One more time. Uh, the greatest things I've learned from being an entrepreneur. All right. We'll get that. We'll get that link up uh, in the show notes. And congratulations again on being published. Thank uh, you. That's a, that's a big, big deal. So well done. Next question. Um, now you run a profitable business. It's a service-based business. You provide a service at a price and you get paid. And at the end of the day, you make a profit. A lot of guys starting out struggle to value their work. How did you go about breaking the mentality of an hourly employee to a business owner and what was it that allowed you to understand how to charge for your value so i'll be honest i i actually still struggle with that a lot um but basically i've come to realize that it's, it's you're not charging people the hours spent you're charging them the years learned mm -hmm. yeah. and Sometimes, and I, I really struggle with that a lot. And so I can do it in an hour, but the average person takes two hours. So honestly, for me, stepping out of an employee role into the owner's role and letting my employees that have less experience handle it mm -hmm. has, has actually what helped me to see it. And I still struggle when I go out there. Uh, well, I can do it in an hour kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it kind of, kind of makes you uh, question your comfort zone a little bit too. Um, you know, for for me, looking at stuff, going, all right, well, that'll be five grand. Like, well, that's not many hours worth of work for that. Is there any tips or tricks that you use um, when you're trying to justify the uh, the value of what it is that you offer? Like justify to the uh, consumer? No, to yourself, to yourself, because ultimately, right. You know, I price my stuff to where I'm adding more value than I'm costing. I'm adding exponentially more value than I'm costing. Um, and I see it as fairly cut and dry because I can show a company my track record of we, we did X and it produced Y results. But you're selling a, 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 a tangible uh, a service. It's, it's good. You're, you're installing a, a car stereo. You know, I was just, I was just wondering, um, like, in your mind, how you broke through that from, all right, it's $50 an hour and I'm going to charge him 200 bucks to actually having a profitable company, knowing that, hey, I need to charge $100 per hour, plus I need to factor in W2 stuff, plus I need to factor in insurance stuff, plus I need to factor in the lights, the utilities, and I got my advertising and I got to cover my sales guys. Like there's a whole bunch of shit goes into having a company, which is way more than 50 bucks an hour to install a stereo in, in your driveway. Yeah. So I was I was trying to break through that to break through that wall and see how you handled that. So for me, it was not looking at as how much time it'll take to do it, mm -hmm. but looking at it as a solution of providing the customer. Because yeah. at the end of the day, if I say I can do this in your car and it's going to cost X amount, 
Mm -hmm. You generally don't care. What the average customer doesn't care how we get from X to Z. They just care about the solution we're providing and it's going to solve their problem. Right, right. Of course. So by building those packages I talked about earlier mm -hmm. um, and creating a solution rather than a itemized service list, I don't know if that yeah. makes sense. No, it does. Um, it's like you're not selling them anything you're solving their problem you're, you're giving Correct. them you're giving them the results they want for for a fixed price i mean yeah it makes makes perfect sense to me i'm the surgeon on there i was just trying to open shit up for the listeners who are probably just a little bit behind us in the in the in the, in the scheme of the business world but uh i got oh. another i got another question for you can i just say one more thing on that for no listeners no, no i'm muting you go go ahead please so so one of the things that i learned the hard way was I was always the one to like, I'd help, I'd get discounts for close sales and, yeah. you know. We, we all did. Yeah. Stop, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Because what I realized at the end of the day is if you give a 10% discount to a customer, you know, it's not a lot of money. If they're spending a thousand bucks or 600 bucks, it's not mm -hmm. a ton of money in that sale. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the year, mm -hmm. it's typically someone's salary, if not more. Oh, yeah. Entire yeah. employee salary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't ever, I don't ever discount stuff anymore. What I, what I'll try to do is add so much value to what we're doing that they just feel stupid saying no, and then they don't ever ask for a discount because we deliver so much value. So uh, yeah, I, I learned that the hard way. It's, it's amazing how much shit you learn the hard way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, it took it from me. It was kind of doing the math one day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, shit, you know, that's, that's an entire salary. I could hire an entire employee if I stopped giving a 10% discount. Yep. And then I went the other way with it. And I said, well, what if I just added 10% mm -hmm. because it's not that much to each customer. Right. But at the end of the year, it's a shit ton more money for me. Well, a lot of shops allowed like a miscellaneous shop fees and just yeah. build 10% 10, 10 of shop fees. And I was like, well, what yeah, covers rags and oil and consumables and shit like that. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. So if you add like, because I know now you're the owner and you're kind of extracting yourself from the day-to-day the, the -day operations side, um, but let's say you had all the money in the bank and you could do whatever you wanted there at work. What's your favorite thing to do around your business? Um, so... The honest answer is, I think at this point, I, I actually, I'm working on a second business mm -hmm. and I would probably walk away from this. No kidding. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I think I would walk away from this at this point, but if I could do whatever I want, which this is actually part of my goal right now, is it would just be more custom stuff. Right. Uh, right. Building cool things and, you know, not the basic, you know, R&R yeah. um, speakers or whatever, be building pit my ride stuff, uh, unique things for people. Dude, so it sounds like you're a creative looking for somewhere to land. Yeah. You know, we, we don't get to do tons of that because a lot of people don't always want to pay for it. Well, yeah. But obviously, you know, you had free time and you could hone those skills. I mean, there's some people that do amazing, like Brandon Green. You know, yeah. they do amazing stuff. And I'd like to be more of their level. You know, I can do some cool things, but not 
you know, like one of my buddies, he just built a built-in radar detector. So like yeah. some lasers that cops can't get their speed. Mm-hmm. A brand new 2022 Mercedes. And it's got this floating screen above, you know, where the, the dashboard is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He built a mini floating screen that looks exactly like the Mercedes-Benz one. He mounted it to it. You can't even tell it's aftermarket. And he put the radar detector screen right in there. Wow. You know, but that's amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. built it from scratch. So, so, so get getting to flex that creative muscle and getting to be yeah. that more of that artist. No, I I get it, man. I get it. That sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. And uh, you know, sometimes you build a company and you you get done building it, and you're like, you know what? Maybe I'm going to do something else. You know, it's it's not like I think entrepreneurs often have multiple careers where you know I've built several different companies and not got bored but felt like right that's the challenge complete we'll we'll sell this and go do something else you know so i'm, I'm kind of doing something similar to what you're doing uh a year ago i spoke on stage about my journey from a technician to ceo mm-hmm. and then i call it the glass tech to ceo yeah. yeah so i actually started a facebook group and i've been uh, i'm going to be starting doing like bi-weekly uh live on Facebook for another group that I'm part of is thousands of members mm-hmm. of that journey. So I really want to start helping others in that same journey that I took to step out of the business, let go of control, learn to trust employees. It's crazy, isn't it? Like once you figure it out, once somebody teaches it to you and once you see how this all works and like all you want to do is spend time like pulling other people out of the struggle. That's all I was because you see them drowning like you were, not necessarily drowning, but oh yeah, you know they're they're moving, but they're not going anywhere. Yeah, and you're like, man, if you could just see yourself from the outside right now, you know this is what you got to do. Yeah, and everybody thinks their situation is unique or different. It's Mm -hmm. it's not. It's not that now. Ten percent of it is going to be unique. Like your your attorneys are going to have shit and your plumbers are going to have shit and your car audio guys are going to have shit but 90% of it 90% of it's the same it's the same problems it's the same stuff so yeah yeah so all right while we're on the subject of the matter then what does what does the future hold for James Smith so I've done done a lot of thinking on that and uh, I did the you know go sit out on the porch and really reflect and write down what you want and I kind of come up with two answers. So I'm not 100% decided on my path. Right now, I'm solely focused on 100% self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to open another store, but that's slowly going away. And I yeah. think that I want to do more of a consulting side where I help others achieve the same results. And I'd like to keep this running, you know, because I want a, a home to go to where I can practice doing my custom yeah. skills and Dude, you I can do have, enjoy this. You can have your own bay and nobody bother you. Like, no, nope, yeah. working on my shit today. <laughs> but I'm really looking at the consulting side and taking that venture mm-hmm. and that whole group. So yeah. that's what right. I'm looking at. And now you got a book that adds a little more weight to the consultancy as well. Yeah, and I've started working on a second, my own book, mm-hmm. but I'm really slacking. Uh, I got to start devoting at least an hour a week to it. Dude, I've been working on mine since since January, and then just a couple of months ago, I scrapped it. I didn't like it. I just said, you know what, leave that alone. And so I was supposed to have it published uh, 
this week it was supposed to come out and I just, I, I pulled the plug on it because I wasn't happy with it. And I, I don't want my book to be a pamphlet that's just put together and thrown yeah. together willy nilly. I want it to be a, a cornerstone of my legacy. So uh, I had to go back to the drawing board on the book or back to so, the typewriter. You know, it's amusing with my books. I, I talk about the chapter, your foundation of everything. And I've mm -hmm. talked about that a few times. But when I wrote my book, I just started writing. Yeah. I didn't write an outline. I didn't build a foundation. And now I'm like, I'm kind of lost in this. Like, where do I go? And I'm like, all right, I gotta go back and build. Yeah, I gotta build my same as everything. It yeah. starts with that foundation. It starts with your foundation, your outline, your bullet points, your chapters, all of it. I mean, if you don't have the foundation, and the reason I scrapped mine because was I decided to change what I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, and I wanted to make it. I didn't want it to be the story of Sam. I wanted it to be like factually useful for people that were going to read it. and uh, Maybe they get some benefit out of it, you know? So I was actually thinking of a, a book about me and I was thinking about calling it something like getting out of your own way and mm -hmm. talking about my journey because like I got involved with drugs multiple times and I'd mm -hmm. overcome them, get out of my own way. I mean, when I was 17, I got sent to a drug rehab and I was sober for two years and then I went to college and you know, right. It all went downhill and I kept having to get out of my own way to get to where I am today. Right. right. And I thought that'd be kind of a cool book. That, I mean, that, you're, you're, you're equally as responsible for your losses as you are for your wins. You know what? I look back at, at all that and, and I, I tried really hard to not regret it because who knows if I didn't go through all that, mm -hmm. I may not be here. I, you know? I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't. I, I'd have, Drank myself to death by now, you know? So sometimes those hard times and those mistakes you made, they're there for a reason. Mm -hmm. So, but so man, that leads me like to my penultimate question, uh, which is the one I ask all the guests on the show. And it's probably the one you, you've, you've wrote an answer out for. Um, but being as the fact that this show is aimed at guys that are a few years behind us, if you could reach back in time and talk to yourself from maybe five or 10 years ago, what's the one critical piece of advice that you'd give out? <laughs> it's build your foundation. Yeah. Uh, document, you know, document everything you're doing, uh, what you want, the steps. I also think like part of that's built finding your core values and, and your end goal. Well, yeah, your, your mission and your core values is such a entwined part of your foundation. I mean, like, I don't know, man, I don't know how I ran companies without a mission and without a set of core values. It was just like a bunch of guys would show up and we'd go to work. Um, what has having core values in place in your company, what positive things has that brought out for you? So it's made me realize that Sometimes not all business. So a core values for me, a lot of times people look at it as just for your employees or what you're doing, but it's also customers walking in the door. Oh yeah. 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 And I yeah. I've dodged a lot of bullets. When when my clients match my core values, it's perfect. Nothing nothing ever goes wrong. So know? we've learned to identify our clients quicker. Mm -hmm. And you know, those those clients that we know aren't going to match, we don't, don't mess with them. You, and now we have less problems. You said earlier, not all business is good business. 
why don't you uh, why don't you expand on that for me just a little bit? Maybe give me an example of some bad business and uh, and why people should be, especially business owners that are struggling for money. I know we're moving into a, a negative growth period. I think it's recession, but they redefine the terms of that. Tell me why. Tell the guys listening why not all business is good business. Well, because you do business with someone that say doesn't align with the core values, and you know they're not going to be happy or you, you guys just aren't going to work good together. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be the best of experience. So if that person leaves with, with a negative experience, whether it's your fault or not, mm -hmm. he's going to bad mouth your company. Oh yeah. He yeah. might leave you a bad review. Not only that, but that customer might be that customer that is consistently coming back, wasting your time mm -hmm. and taking you away from your better customer. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. people a lot of times people in business I don't think realize that when you're wasting your time with this customer, you're, you're potentially losing other things. Oh yeah, so, the the opportunity cost of the time is it, it can be incredible. Yeah, so I think that to me was the biggest, uh, like realizing that, learning to say no to customers. And spending my time focusing on the better customers, mm -hmm. or I shouldn't say the better customers, but the customers that suit my business better. The customers that align better with you. Yeah. 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 You know, it, it makes them happier. It makes me happier. It makes my employees happier. And it makes overall the whole workplace better. And mm -hmm. all that equals more money traditionally. Yeah. No, no, no doubt. Because like the time I'm not spending servicing clients that I don't like anyway, I can be spending giving the clients I do like the ultimate experience and sourcing more clients that, that match who I want, you know, yeah. and it, dude, it took me a long time to learn because you know, when, when I first started in real estate, my ideal client was anybody that wanted to buy or sell a house. Yeah. And then after working in real estate for two years, I, I, I very quickly figured out that my ideal clients weren't anybody that wanted to buy or sell a house. There was a specific niche of guys and girls that I enjoyed working with. And I tailored my market into that niche and, all my headaches subsided, you know? So kind of a good example of that is when I started as a partner in this business, mm -hmm. my partner was like, he believed that our market was, like he always said, this is our market. And we did an amp and sub install for 80 bucks. We would use cheap wire. Damn, that is cheap. And yeah. we're, you know, 250, 300 bucks of labor now. Yeah. You know, after the parts and the wire were easy, 500 bucks. Easy, and I would imagine. He was yeah. always afraid to, uh, he was always afraid to up the prices because we're going to lose people. Uh huh. And he's right. We lost people, but we lost those cheaper customers. The shittiest customers. And you, you, you lost people that expected to pay you $80 for half a day's work. Correct. So was, it, was it really a loss? And now we're focusing on better customers. Mm -hmm. We're making more money per job and everyone's happier because we're also not dealing with crap equipment. Yeah. And we're having less problems and everything. So see, see the greatest the, thing we ever did. The more you charge, the better the service you can give for your client and the better results they can have. I yeah, just, and uh, we're one of the, we went from one of the cheapest shops in the area to one of the most expensive shops, if not the most expensive. Um, to be honest, I stopped paying attention to other people. Right. Uh, if not the most expensive shop in the area, and we're busier than ever, you know, and, and we're moving forward. We got 
you know, those people that come in that want the cheapest job, walk back out the door. And still today, that's hard for me to accept sometimes because I see money walking out the door. Yeah. But I've learned to accept it. And I, you know, it doesn't hurt. Like it used to. But you, you're seeing money walk out the door. You're seeing revenue walk out the door, but you're not seeing profit walk out the door. Those guys weren't profitable. You can let right. that go, you know, because just padding revenue to, for the sake of padding revenue and spinning your wheels, man. I mean, it hurts at first letting people go and realizing that, hey, we're, we're just not well aligned. It would be like as a, as a realtor, like I'm, I'm halfway through selling my, my real estate business. Um, so I, I'm not a realtor anymore. Um, but as a realtor, like, referring clients that weren't a good fit for me and getting that 20% referral fee and letting them go off and work with the, the agent that was a great match. It was the smartest thing I ever did. You know, you get paid a little bit, but I don't have any other headache. And uh, it's not, it's not watching profit walk out the door. It's just losing a little bit of revenue and losing a headache. I'm okay with that. You know, a lot of people don't realize that that time you spend post the job or dealing with those problems, there's also money lost too. Yeah. So you, you did it cheaper, but then you spend time dealing with whatever it is, mm -hmm. and now you're losing. Yep. Yeah. Money and, on top of it. It's you know, we make money, we make some profit, um, but you know, the line between profit and loss isn't as wide as a lot of people think it is. And a few hours here and a few hours there, and probably the same with you. If you go eight to ten hours over on a project, are you profitable on that project anymore? You know, Ex exactly. So there's, there's definitely that balance. And that balance. this might be another conversation that we can't get into, but that's the other one is a lot. I hear all the time people say, well, there's no money in that. Or, you know, I used to get told by my partner, there's no money in custom work. But there is. There, you there just, is. You just got to charge for it. Right. And, and, you know, we're about upon time. But in my opinion, the reason that happens is because, you know, you get a new guy come into town and say, right, I'm going to, I'm going to have an electronic install shop. All right. So what's he do? He calls five shops. He says, how much for an install? They say, oh, they all say $500. One says $800. Most of them are around 500 bucks. He's like, right, I'm going to do it for 399. And he comes in and it's a race to the bottom and nobody's profitable because they're selling based on what they think they should charge instead of based on what they're worth in the marketplace. And uh, it's a terrible mistake that shit, we've all done it. Yeah. Like, you just go in and you try to be the cheapest and it just doesn't work in the long run. And that's why you see so many people going out of business. Losing that mentality was probably one of the greatest things I did for my business. Oh, mine too, but it was so fucking difficult. It, it was, it was very difficult. Yeah. So it's, uh, so, but, so let me, I just want to say real quick. Um, yes, go for it. Before, so today, yeah. today's a pretty big day for me because obviously we got that book release. Yeah. But being on your podcast, and I know I've told you, but I'll tell your audience. So I joined Apex uh, a year and a half ago. Yeah. And I listened to one podcast at the time called Small Business Surgeon. And the reason <laughs> I was listening to it is because I was doing a class called Tech the CEO. And I was trying to get some information to put together. It was an hour and 15 minute class. No kidding. And so I found your podcast and I said, oh, this looks like something that would go along with my class. So I 
started listening to your podcast, the first podcast I ever listened to. And then I walked into that Apex room February of 2021. Yeah. Was it 21? Yeah. 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 And um, no, don't know a single person there. There's two people per table and there's a guy sitting there with an empty seat next to him. And I sat down and I met Sam Smith. <laughs> and uh, so it was like really cool to meet you. And I was like, hey, look, I showed you on my phone. I don't know if you remember that. I do. I do. You know why I remember it, right? You were the first person from the world that I didn't know that came up to me and said, dude, I listened to your fucking show. Like now it happens a lot now. Um, you know, I, honestly, MDM was a huge coming out for me because I didn't realize so many people listened and then the number of high fives I got, the number of people I saw walking around in small business surgeon t-shirts, but, but you were the first person, you know, outside of my circle to come and say, dude, I listen to your podcast. I'm like, wow, somebody's listening because when you record these, you know, it's you and I having an interview, but then you publish them and you see the, you see the ranking numbers and you see, you know, each episode is getting 50 downloads or a hundred downloads or, or 500 downloads like we get, you know, and you don't realize that's 500 fucking people. 500 yeah. people sitting in their cars, commuting to work, 500 people, you know, working out of the gym or whatever. And now, you know, we're, we're in that, we're just past 25,000 uh, unique downloads. That's on awesome. the on the, and you're just like, that's 25,000 people that have, have heard my, <laughs> my voice. And you just, you never feel it. It doesn't come back. And you were the first time I ever felt it in public, like come back. It's like, wow, the, this, this show is real. It fucking exists. So that was um, cool. I'll, I'll always thank you for that. I'll always be grateful for that. And yeah, I don't think you'll ever run out of small business surgeon t-shirts. If you ever need one, I'll just send you one. I actually don't have one. I didn't even know you sold t-shirts. I, I don't. I give them away. I, I, oh. think they're, I think they're up on the website for sale. But no, I give them away. And uh, generally, when when guests have done an interview, they get a little thank you package shipped out. And there'll be a, a shirt in there. What, what are you, a large? Uh, medium. Medium. All right. I'll write that down. But <laughs> normally, normally, it'll be one of the team that reaches out. But oh. uh, we yeah, look so, after our guests. So I feel like it's a complete, complete circle now to be on your show. Dude, I love it. I'm so glad that you've come on and that you, you shared your story, dude. And we are up on time. But before we go, mate, please do me a favor. Um, tell everybody watching where they can follow you on social media and what they need to do if they want to order a custom stereo install from you. So if you go to therealjamespsmith.com, Okay. Uh, that'll actually bring you to my page. It has all of my uh, Facebooks, my business page. Uh, Cause I actually have the tech CEO on there and I have another small business that we didn't really talk about where I do uh, tracking for vehicles as well. Oh, right on. Uh, like, like commercial side, like, like GPS tracking, fleet tracking. Yeah. Stuff. Fleet tracking cameras. Um, yeah. So yeah. they'll bring you to that as well. But the real James P Smith.com brings you to all of it. That's awesome, man, dude. I want to thank you like so much for coming and doing this show. I know it's been a minute and uh, like, I'm sure I'll see you here in the next few weeks. I don't know what you got going on with, with the, the events and everything coming up, but uh, I can't make it, man. All right. You, I'll, be, I'll be on a motorcycle trip to Nova Scotia. Oh, I, th so. I think I'd, I'd prefer to be there than a business meetup. So yeah, yeah. Congr congratulations on that. Um, James, thank you for coming on, man. Thanks. I really appreciate you. And, uh, and guys, 
do me a favor and do James a favor. If you've enjoyed this show, if you've enjoyed the, the stories that we've shared, uh, run over to James's site. It's uh, the real We'll toss the link in the show notes, show him some love and uh, do me a favor. You know, you can screenshot this, post us up on Instagram, you can tag me at small business surgeon. And uh, yeah, you can find me pretty much anywhere on the internet. James, thanks again for coming on, brother. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, I am going to check out, get out of here, go back to work, and uh, I will see you guys later in the week. Be good. the small business surgeon podcast if you've made it this far you clearly like it so go on itunes and leave us a five-star review this helps people find the show and spread the good word share with friends and follow us at small business surgeon on facebook and instagram thanks for tuning in and we'll see you for your follow-up next week the small business surgeon was recorded at texas media foundry in historic downtown Bryan, texas Check them out at txfoundry.com or on social media at txfoundry. Thanks for tuning in.